Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Drive to Survive Season 6 was not the worst season of the series, but there were so many stories that they completely glossed over. And come on. Did we really need two Alpine episodes? I know there are a lot of people thinking, oh, those casual fans, they don't belong with us. Well, quite frankly, they do. The sport is evolving and these types of series do have a place within all sorts of sports. We've even got the one about NASCAR full speed, which I did watch and I enjoyed. I know next to nothing about NASCAR. So I got a brand new perspective of Drive to Survive. I learned a lot from it. Sure. I'm not an expert in NASCAR now, having watched it, but I now know the basics. I can relate to people who are casual F1 fans. I'd completely forgotten about that. So, Drive to Survive, it does have its place. And this series has been quite good. There have been moments that I'm thinking that they start to get what people want. What people want are more stuff that we see from behind the scenes. And then using the race highlights, which we probably are familiar with, to complement the story that is being portrayed in some of these episodes. And there were episodes which I found to be really enthralling, and I watched to the end thinking, I'm glad I watched that. But then again, there were episodes which I just thought, did they really need to make an episode out about that? But I'll get to that in a second. Because yes, Max Verstappen is in this series, although the trailers and the teasers showed none of him in it, and the amount of times that we saw him on screen talking to the documentary makers, I could count on one hand. And the whole idea about him dominating, winning 19 races in a season, that's barely touched upon until the very end. You get occasional snippets from the commentary from Ben Edwards or Alex Jakes, and then you just get this montage right at the end being complimented by Christian Horner, where they're going, oh yeah, he won that many races, uh, quick, montage, uh, dominating, uh, best year ever, and then they do that in 30 seconds, pretty much. They make up for lost time almost, so it is featured, but I suppose there wasn't really much to be talked about, but I've got an idea about how that could have been worked in in some way in its own episode. They could have easily made a storyline about Red Bull's dominant year and the inner machinations of the two 
drivers that were having completely different seasons despite having a fantastic car. Yes, you've got Max Verstappen winning 19 races and being completely at one with the RB19, having a serene season, having times where he's just having fun, chilling out. There was a moment where he was just talking to his friends and then this was at Singapore with Liam Lawson and Liam Lawson's there looking completely awkward and then he just turns to Liam and he's like, oh, hey, mate, that's Max Verstappen talking to me, me. It's starstruck there. It would have been nice to have that diametric opposite of Max having a great time of it. And all the while, Checo's over there in the same car, having an absolute Mardi of a season. What with all of the drama surrounding Helmut Marco, his crashes, him wanting to go up against Max Verstappen. He then has that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Baku. If you had that moment when Baku, Checo gets his second win of the season and all of that talk coming out after the fact, about Max Verstappen being furious about losing out to Checo Ibaku and vowing that he would never win a race again that season. And then you cut to Miami, where he completely trounces Checo and then does so for the rest of the year. That would have been fantastic. And the struggles that Checo would have had, his season crumbling, the media turning against him. We got a snippet of it with the Mexico crash, but it was in isolation. You would have had no idea about how much Checo was struggling. Sure, there were bits and pieces of him having a mistake and colliding with people, including Sonoda at Singapore. And that was it. You got nothing else. You didn't even get the situation where he had his photo finish with Fernando in Brazil. I would have loved to have seen more of that. Maybe having both men, Fernando and Checo, talking about their first tussle in Malaysia 2012 and how it compared to Brazil. That would have been an amazing point of discussion and a moment where 11 years ago or 12 years ago, we had that moment. And then in Brazil, when these men are older, they're wiser, they're more experienced and they have a similar situation again going for the podium. We didn't get that. We didn't get that triumphant last podium of the season for Fernando. Yes, we got to see Fernando's multiple podiums and then Aston Martin climbing up the ranks. That was cool. And that was pretty much the theme for the first episode. The Brazilian Grand Prix was completely glossed over. We got nothing from there. We didn't even get Charles Leclerc's formation lap dramas and the soundbite of, oh, why am I so unlucky? <laughs> it's one of his iconic ones, right after the you know Paul Ricard one, where he just goes, no, that's seminal stuff. And we didn't get that. And Drive to Survive is all about the drama, you know? Then you could have spun that Checo drama into the battle for second place with Lewis Hamilton closing in in those last few races. Checo being asked about, well, did you feel like you could have lost second place? And then Checo would have been defined as a, no, I would have had second place in the bag. And then Lewis about the fight for second. That wasn't discussed either. About being the runner-up to Max Verstappen, even though the car is completely leagues away from the RB19. We didn't get any of that. That could have been a really good story. And that could have easily replaced either episode seven or eight, which I am sad to say are skippable. Episode 7 could have been fused into Episode 5, Civil War, with Seven's conclusion of cooperation between Ocon and Gasly when Bruno Famine came in to replace Otmar being the payoff. And then Forza Ferrari? Ugh, that just focused too much on Monza specifically, instead of Fred Vasseur's Ferrari journey as a whole. Not to mention how Carlos and Charles and the entire Ferrari organization handled the change in management. We got snippets and bits and pieces throughout the season, but we didn't get that in the Ferrari episode. We only got that one bit of drama from Monza where Carlos and Charles were fighting for third and then the whole no risk, no risk thing. And then they nearly collide into one another. Yeah, sure. That was a dramatic moment, but it was pretty much done in isolation. It was just drawn out. It felt like just a race highlight thing with bits and pieces and pockets of Fred Vasseur 
acclimatizing himself to the Italian world, and that was that was pretty cute. They treated Fred and Toto's friendship quite well, I will say that. All right, I'll get this out of the way, considering that I'm a McLaren fan, and Oscar's my boy. He was done dirty this series. Yes, I know you're going to call me biased, but honestly, the rookies were barely featured. The whole thing about Oscar Piastri is that his rookie season has been one of the most successful since the days of Lewis Hamilton's in 2007. No, I am not saying it was better than Lewis Hamilton. It was up there with Lewis Hamilton. He had multiple podiums, two sprint battles for the lead with Max Verstappen at Spa in Qatar, and then the thing with the double podium for McLaren, their first since Daniel and Lando in 2021. None of that. None of that at all. Granted, we did get a McLaren episode and their struggles at the beginning of the season, and then the payoff in Silverstone when it was very obvious that McLaren was back, but it would have been great to see the building up from that, and then we saw moments from Spa, we would have seen Qatar with the sprint win from Oscar, and then the culmination of it with the double podium at Suzuka. That would have been the ultimate payoff at the end. Silverstone would have been the turning point, Suzuka the end point. But we didn't get any of that. That wasn't featured at all. Second and third, that's a big deal. But that wasn't shown. And then Oscar, his portrayal was just seen as, yeah, he's a rookie and uh, yeah, he's all right. He didn't disgrace himself, but no. Oscar was more than that. There were times this season where people genuinely forgot that Oscar Piastri was a rookie and they were critiquing him as if he'd been around for two or three seasons. And then people have to go back and go, oh yeah, oh yeah, no, this is his first season. Right. Okay. All right. The perspective. Yes, of course. He has stuff to improve upon for 2024. Of course. Every rookie has to have that moment. But there were times genuinely you would forget that Oscar was in his first year. There were moments when he was genuinely brilliant. Sure, he got to have his moment in Silverstone where he got fourth, and that was a really good achievement, and his qualifying prowess, but it just felt like they were really underselling Oscar in that way. Considering that all the other rookie drama that we had with Nick DeVries and then Logan Sargent, it just felt a bit lacking. On that similar tangent, it would have been nice to have talked to Logan Sargent more about his struggles as being a rookie in that Williams car. And then having that moment of optimism in Vegas when he qualified seventh, there could have been an episode dedicated to the rookies. How Logan, how Nick, how Oscar settled into F1, considering that there's a huge debate about the legitimacy of rookies and how most of them now, even the F2 champions, are stuck in reserve driver purgatory. Why is that? That could have been explored. But no, we didn't get that. But we did get some stuff from Logan in the Haas Williams episode, the backmarker episode, how you got two diametrically opposed teams, the renegades of Haas versus the paragons of Williams. And there was a moment in episode four where I audibly and involuntarily just shouted, James, James is here. And James Vowles just appears and it's like, oh, he has this moment where he gets his job description wrong. Williams F1, Williams Racing. That was cute. And there are going to be so many memes about James now. And he's learned from the master with the whole Toto Pumpernickel. Now we've got James Vowles about what kind of drinks does he input and how he has a strategic plan for how he consumes his caffeine on a race weekend. Just these little moments where, yeah, he's a goof. He's a total geek. He's so much like a dork, but he's so endearing. He's so charming. And you got this moment where Gunther is in Maranello 
they are talking about aerodynamic changes and Gunther's just like, well, I don't really understand it. What exactly is going on here? You, you just do what you do. And then James is in the simulator and he's looking at all the numbers and he's really digging deep into it. And he's just going like, right, okay, you know, we're doing this right here. Okay, we're doing this right. He's getting deep into it. He understands it, whereas Gunther doesn't. You can tell the mood was not great because Gunther simply didn't understand what was going on. Oh yeah, of course, Gunther was featured. But that last shot from the final episode where he just gets up, he's thanked profusely for his contribution from the producers and the interviewer. And then you just get the slide of Gunther's contract was not renewed for 2024. And it just feels like somebody died or something like that. The hopes of Drive to Survive Season 7 were just burnt into ashes or something like that. But don't worry. I'm pretty sure that he will be in the next season of Drive to Survive because he has now been contracted by RTL, the German television channel, to be a pundit for them. You know that Drive to Survive will just go, well, he's a talking head now. Let's just get him in. And I bet you he will be far more candid. He will be a lot more honest about what the teams are up to because now he's not a team principal. He doesn't have to be diplomatic. He's going to be so open and honest. As for Danica Patrick, I'm going to be diplomatic here. I'll limit my words to there could have been a better choice of pundit. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Either they could have just expanded more on Susie Wolf because she was featured. But I will say, them getting Claire Williams to come out of obscurity and talk on Drive to Survive, that is an absolutely huge coup. Her contributions were really insightful. But I will say, when they were talking about outside investors buying into a team, you could taste the venom in her voice. Her dealings in 2020 with Doralton Capital, very fresh in her mind. She can relate to that moment and she was not holding back. But I just feel like there could have been more female pundits brought in, like maybe Laura Winter from the F1 broadcast alongside Will Buxton. You might have had Rachel Brooks coming in. Or maybe you could have had some more talking of F1 Academy, because Susie Wolf was mentioned in her lower third as the managing director of F1 Academy, but we didn't get any hint of it whatsoever. People would have seen that and go, well, what's that? What's the F1 Academy? And they would have to Google it to get any idea about what it was. That was a weird choice of lower third, but either way, it's fine. But yeah, we could have had Rachel Brooks, we could have had somebody else, but Danica Patrick is a talking point of an overall international appeal and towards American audiences currently. So, okay, Danica Patrick, whatever. Okay, fine. But Claire Williams, very good. Okay, so my other favourite episode. Episode four was good. 
But I think the second episode was also quite fascinating. I would say this was the most polished when it came to a story and how it was edited. There was a clear narrative piece because this was the Daniel Ricardo episode. This was the closest to a Red Bull episode that we would have gotten. And you know that Drive to Survive loves Danny Rick because they couldn't go more than one episode without talking about him and his return to the F1 grid. In juxtaposition with the struggles of Nick DeVries. And what I really liked about this episode was how they portrayed him as an outsider. How he really was not somebody who belonged within the Red Bull universe. How he was plucked in by Helmut Magpie. Because there was one moment when they were going for the, uh, the, the Red Bull charity shoot. Something I'm not particularly fond of. But everyone else is having a jolly good time. Simply, simply lovely. Because Max and Daniel were there. They were having a blast. They were getting stuck in right after the moment at the beginning of the second episode. Where, given the current context, it's a little bit awkward. But there's this moment when everyone knows what they're doing. They're having fun. And then there's Nick DeVries, who is late. He's never held a gun before and he's not really fond of them. He's wearing a Red Bull cap to go, I am part of this group, honest. And he's looking up tutorials in how to actually hold a gun for the shoot. The juxtaposition, it was so obvious. It was really, really good. And then there were moments when we got to see Nick DeVries in person. And then we get to see the talking head talking about his struggles over the season. And this is the moment when you start to have a little bit less sympathy towards the guy because... When you see him in isolation, when he's not racing, when he's busy cleaning his apartment or he's hanging out with one of his mates, he seems all right. He seems quite amiable. He seems quite chill. But then when you get him in front of the camera and he's talking about, oh, I'm a Formula E champion. I'm going to step in and be good. And then you cut to later on in the episode. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm struggling. And I'm realizing that actually this is quite different from a Formula E car. The come down, the hubris. Oh, oh, dear. It does make you think, oh, OK, maybe Red Bull were right to get rid of you because you were so arrogant at the beginning. They don't portray Nick DeVries in a very positive light drive to survive. But I suppose there's no love loss because he's never going to be in it again. At least we don't think. And probably he won't be because Nick DeVries is busy working with Toyota now. Good for him. And then Daniel Ricciardo coming in, his resurgence back into the sport when they thought that everything was lost. That was a really good episode. And then it was continued with another good episode, episode nine, Three's a Crowd, when we got to see Liam Lawson. And I am so thrilled that he was featured. The vibe that we got from him is pretty much the same vibe that we get from his YouTube channel, where he's just driving around in a hoodie, just talking to himself, and he's just busy at garages and tuners, just tuning his car, either it's a Supra or another car. He's just a lad who likes his cars and he's quite normal. He's quite chill. He's relaxed. He's Red Bull's answer to Oscar Piastri. But you feel like he's a little bit more relaxed than Oscar. But you get a really nice impression from him. And I'm glad that all of the achievements that he had when he stepped into Formula One were covered, including the moment in Singapore where he was the fastest Red Bull driver of anybody, including Max Verstappen. That was great to have been featured because people will realize, hey, he outqualified Max Verstappen. Granted, the RB19 wasn't great around Singapore, but to the casuals, yeah, he looks like he knows his stuff. You can tell Liam Lawson was genuinely annoyed and angry that he didn't get the seat for 2024. He felt like he belonged in Formula One. He'd done everything possible and still it wasn't good enough. The perk that he's going to get now, he's going to get more time in the simulator of Red Bull to learn his craft and that's it. But you can tell the frustration. He was genuinely angry, but he kept his cool somewhat, but... 
you could tell he gave his honest opinion about the situation. He's going to get a lot more fans from Drive to Survive. Whereas Nick DeVries, probably not, but I don't think he cares now. Then you're probably wondering about how Lewis's Mercedes relationship was handled. Well, you can definitely tell the allusions to his loyalty are featured, as with the original $40 million Ferrari contract rumours, which we now know to not be entirely inaccurate. The sound bites that were used in the trailers are used ad nauseum here about the whole thing about you can be here for 20 years, I can't, and... Then there's this bit where they're doing a shoot in Stuttgart with all of these different Mercedes cars. The way that it was edited was not flattering for Lewis. He comes off as quite rude, whereas George is quite chipper. And then Lewis is like, oh, well, let's not dilly-dally. If I were a runner on that shoot, I'd have been really intimidated and nervous around Lewis, whereas George was quite relaxed. And then there's this moment where Lewis gets in the AMG one. He's told to go to one place and then get back to another place. But then he goes off on a joyride. So you get this director or whoever was talking going, Lewis, please come back. Please come back. Oh, please come back. And they use that throughout the entire season for what's coming up. They really love they got that soundbite. I imagine the producers were like, yes, yes, we got it, yes. But let's be fair here. You can really tell that Lewis is trying his best with a car that simply does not agree with him. That Mercedes aren't giving him the tools that he wasn't listened to. You can tell that the documentary is sympathetic towards Lewis and that they're not trying to be negative, but... I don't understand why they used that shoot at the beginning because the vibe it gave me was like, ooh, Lewis, you are not happy. He probably didn't want to be at that shoot. And then he got a moment to be in the AMG one, which is a fantastic car. And he just let loose. That's probably the honest truth of it. He just wanted to have a bit of a moment of catharsis. And then reality set in. And then the whole struggles about the contract, which we now know have a sort of tainted theme toward it. But no, it was a good episode, and Lewis was treated fairly. But yeah, you can definitely tell there's not a great vibe going on. Then, of course, there were other things I wish were covered but weren't, including the entirety of the Guitar Grand Prix and the struggles the drivers had with the weather conditions. But they probably weren't going to be included because that weekend, Formula One did not look good and it was painted in a very negative light. So I doubt that a series about them commissioned by Formula One management would have been featured because, again, it would have made them look bad. So build up to Vegas and the struggles with the locals and the construction. Same reason as the Qatar emission, probably, because, again, it doesn't make F1 look good. Then you've got, of course, Lance Stroll's struggle with his teammate, which culminates in the whole personal trainer scuffle. And that was probably down to Papa Stroll going like, if you include that, I am going to sue you up the wazoo. But I will admit that Papa Stroll did have a very human moment when Lance was injured and then the resurgence of him. Lance was portrayed in a really good light because he came back and that was a genuinely impressive move that he rushed himself back to recovery and then he gets points on debut right after a really serious injury. He's the only guy that is interviewed in his own office instead of the conventional studio where everybody else is, including Toto. Lawrence Stroll, no. You have to come to his office. Austin, nothing. And that race was pretty dramatic in of itself. What with the battles for the lead with Lando and then Lewis against Max Verstappen. And then the disqualification of both Lewis and Charles for the whole plank issue. Somebody being disqualified for a worn plank not been seen in decades and that wasn't featured. Was that a little bit too nerdy for the casual fans? No, it would have been a complete not a twist. Austin, not featured at all. And again, the only non-Red Bull win that season was truncated to a short sequence in episode eight. And that was it. And of course, there were plenty of other things that were omitted. And if you notice a thing that was omitted, do comment down below. And this will just be another example of things that could have been better. But I will say, Drive to Survive Season 6, I didn't feel like I was wasting my time. It was not terrible. It was quite good. And you get the feeling that when those episodes landed, they landed well. There were at least three episodes which I thought, these are really good. And I like what they did with it. Episodes 2, 4, and 9. 
those three are definitely worth watching to the end. Then seven and eight, you can probably skip. And episode five is good, but you felt like seven could have been combined with five. There could have been a little bit of a mashing of two episodes into one, but it's an improvement. It's an improvement on season five, which I found to be forgettable. And then season four was just complete and utterly wrong. And it's back now to where it was at its best, where I would say it was probably season two and then season three for that matter. So I would say season six is like somewhere in the middle. It's an improvement. And I hope that this trend continues where we learn more about the behind the scenes stuff, where the races complement the behind the scenes stuff in giving further context in terms of the struggles instead of it mainly just being race highlights. And then, oh, yeah, just some bits of Gunther swearing or something like that. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for listening to my ladder ramblings. If you liked what you heard, do be sure to leave a five-star rating on your podcasting platform of choice. I really do appreciate it. And until the next time I traverse the ladder, I hope you have a pleasant day. Goodbye. <laughs>